We're all in business for a reason. The problem that so many small business owners have is that they go in 10 million different directions, not really sure which way to go. Listen as your team of experts, Jennifer Glass, Daniel McCrane, and Patricia Rezzatillo, go through what you need in your business to really make it stand out and benefit you. Because it's the bottom line that matters. Welcome to another really exciting episode of It's the Bottom Line That Matters podcast. We are your business growth experts. My name is Jennifer Glass and I am joined by Daniel McCrane and Patricia Rezzatello. And again, we are your business growth experts. And thank you so much for listening to another episode of our podcast. On today's uh, episode, we're going to talk, so you want to pass the business on to your kids. A lot of small businesses, when they get started, they think, I am doing this because I want this to be my retirement. I want to have it passed to my children. I want it to be a family business. You look at so many businesses, and especially before the COVID pandemic, you saw tons of family businesses. Unfortunately, there are fewer today in the wake of the pandemic just because the pandemic wreaked its havoc on the economic system. Uh, with people not going out and shopping and supporting businesses. And by the way, for those of you that are listening, if you can find a small business that you can support, whether it is a family business or not, find a small business, give them a hand, go in, shop with them, buy a gift certificate right now that you can use when it's better for you to go shopping, whatever it is that may be something possible for you to do, see what it is that you can do to help uh, another small business. But now that we got that through, so a lot of us though, like I said, we go and we look, I want to eventually pass this business on to my kids, right? You may have a dry cleaner as an example that you started and you may have your children working there nights and weekends. You may have um, an idea that one day your children are going to take over your chocolate factory. Um, Thank you, Willy Wonka. Uh, and by the way if you do have any golden tickets left (laughs) um but in all seriousness you know so we're looking at what it is that we can do to pass our businesses along and have something that's possible it comes down to what you're doing in terms of your succession planning right there's a lot of ideas that are involved in terms of succession planning. It's, do I pass it to my children? Do I sell the business? Do I put it into some sort of a trust and give it to other people? Do I um, have one of my primary lieutenants in my business take over the business? Do I sell it to them? Do I do a profit sharing arrangement with my employees where they can take over the entity and run it as an employee run entity. There's a lot of different things that we can possibly talk about, but Daniel, let me ask you as the leadership and execution strategy expert and somebody that works a lot with um, succession planning. If Mm -hmm. I were to come to you right now and I were to say, listen, I have an almost 18 year old uh, child and eventually I want her 
to take over the business. What mm -hmm. guidance would you tell me that I should be looking at right now? And by the way, I have, you know, another child too, um, you know, who may not want to take over the business or maybe does, but may not be qualified to take over the business. And by the way, everything here is completely hypothetical because neither of my kids want to take over my business. Um, <laughs> Um, sure. In all seriousness, though, um, what can we do in terms of looking at the situation, looking at somebody that comes to you and says that, what kind of, first of all, qualifying questions would you even start with? Because that's a loaded conversation to begin with. How do you figure out how to even start figuring out the right kind of path that somebody can take? Yeah, that is definitely a loaded question, Jennifer. And there's so much to take into account. A lot of times when owners think about uh, passing off the business to the next generation, they approach things uh, from a financial perspective, uh, maybe from a legal perspective, if they're thinking that way. Because a lot of times those are the two key advisors that we use in business. Everyone has an accountant and a lawyer who helps them with their business. So when it comes time to their business to pass it off to someone else, that's typically what they think of. When I hear someone say, I'm getting ready to sell my business, thinking about passing it to the generation and the family, I think about things in uh, probably at least three different buckets. I think about um, who is the next successor going to be? Uh, maybe it's going to be multiple people in the next generation. Uh, maybe it's just going to be a single person, uh, but who is that successor going to be? Uh, I do think about it from the business perspective, the legal, the financial, the strategic planning, the customer service. But then I also think about it from the people. Uh, who are the people currently in the business, your management team, your employees, if you have employees, uh, depending on the size of the business. So there's those three areas there. But then also with family businesses, we also have an ed bucket where we have to talk about the rest of the family as well. And how are they going to think about things? Because being a family business, at the end of the day, once this all gets resolved and it all is shaken out, the ideal scenario is that everyone can still gather around the dinner table and have a harmony giving dinner together. That's really what we're going for. And we don't want to encourage a, a situation, especially among the kids. You know, Johnny always got the little red wagon and everybody else got the broken toys uh, handed down to them. We don't want to uh, continue that kind of a relationship. So that's where I begin. If you, if you say my daughter, uh, and again, you said this is hypothetical, is going to take over the business, immediately I start thinking, what has their preparation to, to take over? And do we need to put a plan in place, give them the skills and the experience they need so they will be ready to take over? Then again, we need to take a look at the business itself time we need to make sure that these two entities are prepared for a transition is the books ready for a transition to take place do we have an actual business not just a self-employed job uh, a self-employed job frankly is not worth much more than just the assets if you're lucky uh, maybe the book of business and the client list 
Um, but that's where um, I bring Patricia in on this conversation too. Uh, because business, we want to take a look at what the corporate structure is, um, operating agreements, articles of vacation, anything else that might also direct how a transition is going to take place. So uh, Patricia, if you've got any additions you'd like to make about structure of a during transition that'd be helpful too oh yeah yeah absolutely um the structure is absolutely vital if you have the wrong structure when you pass the business is over the state will dissolve it and sell off the pieces that would be true like of a sole proprietorship of course right absolutely it's just gone there's, there's no business anymore but and and <laughs> I know this makes me look like an idiot right now. I can't remember. Um, but if you have just, you know, especially if it's a single member LLC or a partnership, you know, if you're gone, you're gone. It's, it's done. It's over. And then it goes into probate. And there may be a slightly different term for that for business stuff, but definitely, you know, probate, <clears throat> which means the state's going to, you know, everything up and sell it off and you know turn it into cash and you know give the kids the cash so here's wow. the other thing that a lot of people as we're going through this may happen i have a partnership right i am partners with somebody in the business we're 50 50 partners you know we're the you know i'm thinking law firms as an example Right. Very often two attorneys team up and they make the law firm of frickin' crack and whatever, you know, completely hypothetical name again. Um, but, you know, we go in and we say, all right, this is what we're doing. And if Frick happens to die, right now, there's a partnership. Frick's will says that everything goes to Frick's wife. Right. And what if the wife isn't qualified to run the practice? Here's mm -hmm. where, again, we go back to that old thing that we've been talking about a couple of times before having that advisory board behind mm -hmm. you. Because if you have the insurance person that's there, they will say, listen, we have to have a buy agreement on the partnership. So that way, in the event that either partner predeceases the other, the surviving partner can buy out the spouse of their stake in the practice. Mm -hmm. So that way you don't end up in a situation where things like this can happen. And there's other ways that you can further protect yourself as you're looking at what it is you're doing in your business. So mm -hmm. again, it really comes down to having that team behind you as we're going through this, but, you know, let's take it a step further though. So if I'm in a position where I have children that don't want to take over the business, right? You know, so it's the end of the line on the family. However, I do have people in my company that I am looking at possibly taking over. Now, of course, if I turn around and I say, listen, if I'm a 25 person company and I've got a vice president in charge of everything or a chief operating officer in my business, they may be an ideal candidate potentially to take over the business. But here's the thing. 
when somebody is in that position, they're sometimes wearing blinders to what's going on in every other area of the business because they're only focused in the operational aspect, for instance, of the business, but they don't pay attention to the financial aspect. So the human resource aspect of the business, because that's not necessarily under their purview. Mm -hmm. But Daniel, let me ask you, if you were counseling that business owner who did have a business like this, what would you say the COO of the business that the owner may feel like they're a second son or you mm -hmm. know, another child, um, what do you think that may, that conversation should look like, or what would it look like if you were talking to that business owner, as we're getting started in this discovery process of how do I figure out who's going to take over? Because I have to stop working. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That conversation then takes a a different turn when we're looking at a, a family business, the next generation, say the kids don't want to have anything to do with it. Um, you know, I know um, on a family farms, the farm is set up as a business and a lot of the farms have been in the family for four generations, generations, six generations, but now, you know, very few of uh, the, the kids have an interest in keeping the farm and continuing to farm. A lot of times now they're keeping these on ownership and just renting it out to another farmer. But there are a lot that are saying, no, I have no interest in that. Do something with it, you know, cut me out of my check. I just want to walk away from it. The same can be true of any other type of business as well. Uh, the kids look at how mom worked in the business to build it and they say, I do not want a lifestyle like that. Uh, and so they want to walk away from it. So then a good uh to step in and maybe purchase the business could be your key manager. Uh, it could even be uh, your very best account. Uh, whoever you're selling to could be another option to sell to. Uh, another option to sell to, you know, quite frankly, I know this is going to be hard to swallow, uh, but to sell to could be your biggest competitor as well. Those are some opportunities. Now with your competitor, obviously they know how to run a business and you're not going to worry about their development plan and how they're going to be ready to take over a business. But if it's your best account or it's your very key manager, then you do want to take into account, Jennifer, you started to talk about this, having a development plan in place for this person. How are they going to get that well-rounded understanding of the way the business works, especially with a larger business? Now, if we're talking about five employees, 10 employees, something like that, it's going to be big of a deal. But if we're talking about a company, 50 employees, 75 up to 100 employees, there's a lot done. There are a lot of different divisions. And so you want to come up with a development plan then. So let's take your COO, your, your chief of options, and let them some additional exposure now to finance. Let's give them some exposure to your sales and marketing area in your company. Figure out a, uh, whether you call it job rotation, uh, whether you call it job shadowing. Uh, that would be another way to do it as well. Have the COO uh, shadow your, uh, your chief of marketing. Have them shadow uh, the chief of HR or customer service, someone else, something like that. So they get a sense of the way the rest of the company can run. Now, I got to tell you, this isn't quick. This isn't like, hey, go check out HR for a couple hours and see what they do. This is more like, no, we're actually going to put you to a role in that division 
and it's going to be three to six to nine months that you're going to spend there. Then we're going to rotate you to the next division where you can learn about that. So it takes time to prepare your successor and it's time to prepare your business as well. I think I've mentioned this before. You can't just suddenly decide, you know what, we're in business before the end of the year. If business is not prepared to sell, it can take as much as three to five years to get things prepared. And one thing that some business owners may look at is hiring a business broker to help them sell. Mm -hmm. So if I was talking to a business broker, you know certain things that I should be asking them or telling them that I would want in a potential buyer or as a buyer, you know, is there something specific that I should be looking for in terms of the way that a company is run that would tell me it's ready for me to step in and buy it? Yes. Uh, you do not need to be a of any business bro. You say that um, the, the industry uh, operates very well. Uh, it's very well run. There are no shakers in brokering. I've not heard of any of this. Um, I would not be ashamed to recommend any business broker who is out there. They are going to steer you down the correct path. Now, here's the shortcoming business broker. They are going to tell you exactly what your business is worth today. Now, again, that's going to be a very bitter pill to swallow for some people. You may find out that the best that your business is worth is uh, practically just a fire sale. You may end up with pennies on the dollar for your assets. A business broker can give you advice of things you can do to increase the value of your business. And again, I am not aware of any business out there who is not able to do that. Any broker that you talk with is going to be a very valuable user. But at the end of the day, the business broker is not going to say, and here's how you do that. And let me help you do that. And this is what it's going to take. And let me walk you through those steps. Instead, they're just going to say, no, nope, here's the value of your business today. Take it or leave it. Every business broker, another question there, Jennifer, is can I work with the business to bring on a certain type of buyer? And yes, you can. I've spoken with enough business they have as much concern about the survival of your business during a transition as you. this is your legacy. This is your baby. You get it over to someone else. Business brokers understand that. And uh, there are incentives in their contract to be your broker to make sure that the business transfers successfully. So they have the interest of the business in mind and they will try to bring you the right kind of buyers if you're the other side, if you're buying, do a great job of showing you businesses that are well run, that have a good uh, a 60 show, so that if you were to take over, there would be a high probability of success. So I think I answered it. <laughs> there may have been some other uh, uh, nuances there that I missed, but yeah, so I wouldn't worry about it at all. So as far as dealing with those business brokers, as far as dealing with the potential sale of your business, again, like Daniel was saying, there's things that you want to be paying attention to. You want to be looking at how they're run. You want to be looking at um, definitely seeing the books. 
And you want to understand if there's one set or two sets of books. And hopefully none of you that are listening are operating with two sets of books. But again, you want to make sure that you fully understand exactly what the business is worth. You know, some businesses are going to turn around and say, well, yeah, you know, I believe that my business is worth 20 times more than what you're telling me it is because look, here's my actual numbers. You know, these are the numbers I report to the government on my taxes. And for those of you that are looking at buying a business, only buy based on what's reported to the government because that's the only true numbers you can trust, right? Whatever happens off the books, as they say, doesn't mean anything because you don't know what that means. And again, we're not condoning that behavior in the slightest. You know, work with a reputable accountant, right? A good accountant works for you, a bad accountant works for the government, right? But if you have an accountant though that's working for you and is in a position to find those legal deductions, you know, President Trump found a way to work around the tax system because that's the way the tax system allowed him to work. Was it completely legal? Yes, because the tax system was designed to allow for all of those loopholes for deductions. But you want to be looking in your business, what can you do to maximize your deductions so that you can make that difference? Mm-hmm. You know, if it means feeding money back into research and development so that you come out with new products, right? Amazon has been in a position to not pay a whole lot, if any tax, because they constantly are investing in their people. They're investing in um, land and warehouses and they're investing in research and development. Google, how many patents have you seen Google file just to say that they're developing something that maybe one day they'll come out with? Now, if you do a patent search at the U.S. Patent and Trade Office, you're going to find Google. Just look for Google patents. You're going to find a ton of them. Now, so many of these patents have absolutely no connection to anything in reality that is likely going to happen in the next five years. But Google is saying, look, we're taking the long-term bet. We know that at some point, something may make sense where this idea is going to come to reality. Now, when you know how to build those patents, and again, patent attorneys are great people also to know if you are going down that path um, to find people. I'm lucky enough that I know a whole bunch of patent attorneys. And I have to say that up until about four or five years ago, I think I only knew one. And then I seemed to meet all of them when I was in the midst of a patent search myself. You know, it's like you go and buy a new car you're thinking, yeah, yeah, there's no cars like this on the road. And all of a sudden you find 3000 cars on that one highway that you're sitting on. That's just like your car um, because your brain all of a sudden becomes focused in on that area. And I guess that's why all of a sudden as I was dealing with a patent issue, I started finding all these patent attorneys coming out of the woodworks. It's like, yeah, look, all of a sudden I had absolutely nobody before. And now I've got like a ton of them. Um, but they're great <coughs> because they can definitely give you that guidance. And if you know how to use the USPTO.gov website, which is the US Patent and Trade Office, they're, you know, they're not easy to work with. Just let's get it through. You know, you have to really understand what you're doing if you want to do something there. If you want to just file a trademark, you can file a trademark. Um, that's not as 
difficult. But if you're looking for a patent, you have to understand that they're going to prosecute your patent. And by the way, I don't mean prosecute like a you know prosecutor in a criminal case, but they're going to make sure that the patent is going to stand on its own and the novelty and things along those lines are going to make sense. But these are areas though, when you're looking at succession planning, whatever patents you have are going to carry a lot more weight because your intellectual property is going to have significant value in the business. But if you don't have intellectual property in the business, if you're simply a landscaper, then that issue may come back as the book of business, right? Like mm-hmm. Daniel was saying a few moments ago in terms of what you may get in a sale. And there's a concept of multiples. How many times monthly revenue can I expect to get in a sale? Sometimes it's one month because the business is just not worth more than that. Sometimes the business is worth three years because the business has all of these incredible resources. Sometimes the business sale can go through where there's incentives, where after six months, if there's X percent of churn, meaning attrition in your customer base, you'll get an extra bonus, right? Because these people stayed in the business. So when you're selling your business, those are things that you can definitely look at in terms of finding a way to still increase the value in your business. Because if you trust that your customers are going to stay because you trust the buyer is going to be servicing them the right way, you can certainly consider that as part of an aspect in your sale. Now, again, we have to disclose the three of us are not business brokers. We're not licensed to sell I personally, I know in New Jersey, I'm not allowed to sell a business here because I'm not a licensed realtor. In order to sell a business in New Jersey, you have to be a licensed realtor. Mm -hmm. And I do not carry that license. And so I cannot even say I operate that way on TV. Um, (laughs) But these are issues though, that as you're thinking about what you're doing, start thinking about what is it that you want, right? And if you're listening to this today and- let's say maybe you're in your 40s, you have no real plan of having to give up your company yet, your business yet. What is it though that ultimately you're going to want to do? We've said this before, when you're going into the business, you have to have that plan of how you're gonna exit the business. I believe anyway, we've said it. I don't know, we've spoken so many times privately. I don't remember if we said on a podcast or you know, in one of our other uh, chats, but there's all of these ideas though, that when you're going into business, you have to know what your exit plan is. And if your exit plan really is giving it to your kids, start having that conversation with them. Start saying, listen, are you interested in possibly one day taking over? Now, clearly, you know, whether or not your children have any sort of uh, idea do you want to take over the business or not, right? Very often they're gonna be totally not in that right mind, left mind aspect to take over the business. They may wanna do something completely different from what you do. You know, a perfect example is my daughter is interested in design. Coaching means absolutely nothing to her. You know, I, I mean, to think about it from that perspective even doesn't make sense. However, she takes after me with politics and is interested in entering the political arena at some point. So from that perspective, sure, I can be like the Bushes. I can be president and my daughter can be president. You know, (laughs) Um, 
you know, hopefully God will make that happen. Um, but in terms though of, you know, the kinds of things, these are thoughts that you want to be having. Now, let me ask you, Daniel, if I'm in that position though, right? 20 years down the road, I'm thinking maybe I need to have that exit plan now. Other than the things I said, is there one or two things that I didn't say that somebody really should be thinking about right now and talking to somebody? And if that's, they should be talking to somebody, who is that somebody? You know, of course they can talk with you and you're going to give me your URL in just a moment that we can share here. Um, but other than talking with you, because possibly if they're in a state that requires direct guidance from specific licensed professionals, which again, we are not licensed professionals in that regard, um, who might that be? Sure. <clears throat> well, first of all, it, yes, again, it takes a whole advisory team to sell a business properly. It, you don't just approach a business broker and say, hey, um, sell my business like you do a realtor to sell your house. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, so there's the business broker you could use, of course, going to be your lawyer, your CPA, your insurance advisor, all of those people who need to be included. It's also a good idea uh, if you've got a person internally to start talking about how and when are you going to break the news to the employees about this transition? Uh, how are you, your marketing team, how and when are you going to break the news publicly? Um, this is the kind of thing that uh, needs, you can all imagine, it needs to be held very close to the vest until it takes place. Um, you don't want your, uh, your customers or your vendors finding out that you're thinking about selling and they think, oh, well, it's time to go find an, another supplier. Um, <clears throat> so all of these things are considerations that you need to, to take into account. But Jennifer, another, uh, another thought that popped into my mind you should talk to is if you're in a family business, you want to keep it in the family and you're looking at your own kids who have all put up their hands and said, no, I'm not interested in taking over. Who else might be working in your family business who is a little bit further family, but might be interested in taking over? Do you have a nephew or a niece? Do you have an aunt or an uncle? Do you have a brother or someone else uh, who might be interested in taking over the family business? And that might not be immediately obvious if you are thinking so much that this is my legacy, I want to pass it on to my kids. It might be easy to overlook other members of your family may be interested. So don't rule that out as an option as well. So those would be my parting thoughts. And what URL can we give? Let's go with www.fixthisbiz.coach. Fixthisbiz.coach. Now, if you mess up, if you accidentally type in fixthisbiz.com, you're going to end up at one of my websites. But if you want to reach out to me and talk about assistance with your business, fixthisbizcoach would be a good to reach out to me. So fixthisbiz.coach. And Patricia, let me ask you, from the perspective of legal structures, you know, we didn't really touch on that much in terms of the succession planning. But if we're looking at passing this along to children, we're looking at passing this uh, through sale or other means, 
what do we need to be looking at? I mean, is it easy to sell an LLC? Is it easier to sell a corporation? Again, knowing the difference between stock sales in terms of having shares in a company, you know, because I, if I have a corporation, can still maintain a 10% equity in the business with a corporation because I can sell 90% of the shares in a business. But what other considerations, if any, do I need to be paying attention to from the structure perspective? I wanted to know this too. I'm glad you asked this, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolutely vital, absolutely critical. There are some structures you simply can't sell. If you sell it, you dissolve it. Can you say more? <laughs> um, I believe that's an LLC. Don't quote me on that quite yet. Um, so you have to absolutely have your structure set up with this in mind going in. And the other thing that I've learned from, and, and this is just in general, from people who are in um, mergers and acquisitions, the industry, um, you're going to start your business and you're going to run it the same way, regardless what you want to do with it. If you want to keep it as a cash cow for until you retire, and then you're just going to let it go away, you're going to build it the same way that you would if you were going to set it up for a merger or an acquisition. I can tell you, by the way, from personal experience, the M&A world is extremely interesting. Merging it is. <laughs> um, it is long hours during the time of deals. Um, really, really long hours. I was involved um, at a time when the company that I was working for was in the process of picking up another company and having to integrate that company into ours. And it was a really interesting time, you know, between looking at it from how much debt are we taking to how much cash are we paying for the business to how much the business is actually worth to figuring out all of those pieces, which again, as we're talking in the succession planning, you know, figuring out that worth, you know, that's what I said about multiples and how much you have based on the intellectual property, based on the number of customers, based on a whole bunch of different variables that go into your business. Again, if you have systems in place, documented systems, and I don't mean, well, I tell everyone go through A, B, and C, you know, to do something. Now, A, B, and C, if your people are operating, going through A, B, and C all the time, that is a system. It's just not a documented system that somebody who doesn't have access to your training is going to know. Mm -hmm. But when you have those documented systems, your business is going to be worth tremendously more simply because you have those documented systems. If you think well, about- a Because honestly, and Jennifer, I don't mean to jump in, but you're buying a business, you're actually buying a future revenue stream. Absolutely. That's what you're buying. And so when you've got those documented systems that prove- what the future revenue is going to be, that future revenue becomes more valuable because now you can bank it. Yeah. When the future revenue is unpredictable, it's, it's valuable. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And that's why, you know, if you look at a McDonald's franchise as an example, McDonald's is great. They've got their uh, processes and systems down pat. You put the burger on the grill for this long, you flip it after this period and you flip it in a certain way. So that way it comes out and every burger comes to the customer the exact same way. Mm -hmm. And that is why these systems and processes are so key. So for those of you, again, that are listening, think about it from that perspective, right? We want you to think, what do I need to do right now to increase the value of my business? Because at some point in the future, you may want to ultimately sell the business. You may want your children to have a more profitable and guaranteed, to the best that you can say guaranteed, um, kind of business that is going to be there, that is going to be that revenue producing system that they're going to want. So look at what you have right now and start writing down those systems. And you can always tweak them, right? No system is meant to be one and done, right? You know, there used to be a rotisserie set of then forget it. And that was the joke, what was it, in the 80s, 90s? Um, it was the set of then forget it system. And very often people in business, they think about, and we said this when we talked about business plans a little while ago, was all about setting it up as a set of then forget a plan. Even your systems are not a set of then forget it. They're designed to constantly be looked at. So when we're thinking about exiting your business, think about it from that perspective. What is it that I need to do to maximize my revenue maximize my value, maximize the number of customers I take, because if I do have that attrition rate as an issue in my business where there is anticipated attrition by the industry type, how much more can I bring in if I have more customers? Now that can be an easy way to add more value to your business right now as well. So Daniel, let me ask you parting words on this topic. And I realized that I just used really a big pun without intending, um, you know, but. Because we're selling the business. You're parting ways with the business. <laughs> nice. Uh, don't just think that it's going to happen on autopilot. Don't think that it's be simple. Um, work with your team. That'd be the parting word. And Patricia, I'm going to ask you the same question. You need a team behind you. Like Dan said, you need a team and you need to take a, a bunch of years to put this in order. Yeah. So there you have it. You want to make sure you have teams. You want to make sure you have the right people. You want the right uh, knowledge in your corner, whether that comes from one main advisor or it comes from a whole slew of people. And again, fixthisbiz.coach would be a great way you can at least get started in terms of figuring out exactly how to move forward as we're looking at uh, helping you with your succession planning and uh, figuring out whether or not you want to actually pass the business on to your children or to somebody else. So Again, we want to thank you for listening to another episode of It's the Bottom Line That Matters podcast. Uh, on behalf of Daniel, Patricia, and my, myself, 
we ask that you please like us, leave us a review, share us. As they say, sharing is caring, share the love. Uh, really let your friends know we are on a mission to help as many small businesses as we can. The more small businesses that we can personally reach and make a difference to, the more that we know we are going to be providing that much more of a service to the community. We don't get paid to do this podcast. We don't get paid to um, offer you this incredible information. It's the result that you show that is going to be our ultimate benefit. And of course, by the way, if you want to work with us individually, we're not going to turn it down. Um, but <clears throat> it's really though, what can we do to help you? Let us know whether you go to fixthisbiz.coach, you talk with Patricia, you talk with myself. It's really, what can we do to help you in your business? And if there's specific topics you want us to talk about, let us know that as well. Reach out to us, leave a comment, um, reach out to us uh, by email, on social, whatever it is. Let us know what it is that you're interested in. And we will certainly try and do our best to make sure that all of you are in a position to succeed. So with that, <clears throat> I want to thank you again so much for listening to another episode of It's the Bottom Line That Matters podcast. And we will see you all again next time.